Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Amazing. Thank you so much, Amy, for that story. Uh, it's so good. There's so much more to it, hey, but um, yeah, God has really carried her through thick and thin. Thank you, Bronwyn. So, how are we going this morning? Yeah, have we enjoyed our school holidays? Who's excited for school holidays to end? Any parents? Yes, there is a hand over there. Won't tell you who because that might, can I say, Shannon? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, uh, who's managed to escape COVID? Hopefully everyone has put their hand up now. Um, oh, actually, no, I, I didn't manage to escape it, but I am better now, praise God. My husband, not so much. Um, he's got it. He's asymptomatic, which is good. But there are so many people right now. Hello to everyone watching on the live stream. We hope that you get better soon and that you will be with us this morning. We love you and we miss you. Uh, but today is our third and final part of The Edge series. It's been a very short but a practical one. It's been good. I've, I've enjoyed it and I hope that you have too. Um, this morning, our key verse is going to be from Romans 12. We're going to read verse 1 and 2, which I think, Josh, Romans, is, Romans 12 is your favourite chapter. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Was that my iPad? Oh, it's Charlotte. Charlotte, turn your phone off. I actually don't know. Whatever, that's fine. Um, living sacrifice is what I just said, I think. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And so this morning, I want to go, I want to go, I don't want to go, I want to stay. Sorry, my brain might still be a little bit foggy, so please bear with me. I might be looking at my notes a little bit more than, than usual. Um, this morning, I want to have a go at talking about what gives us the edge to life. You know, the Word of God has many promises, like Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, plans that prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And to me, it only seems right that as Christians, the children of God, that we should have some type of advantage, right? Some type of edge when moving forward and making decisions to be able to walk in that good, pleasing perfect will of God. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that, about knowing the will of God for our lives, but not actually just knowing it, but walking in the will of God for our lives. So I want to share a bit of a story. A couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple of years ago, I think I was about 20 years old, getting so old now. Um, <clears throat> I remember I was working a couple of jobs uh, I was working here in a, a local print shop and I just remember being so stressed out. 
like I really was not coping well with this dual thing that I was doing. I remember just feeling like I was working so much. I would wake up in the morning and I would work on one job and then I would go to the next one and then I would have meetings at night time. And I just, I honestly, even though I was 20 years old, I felt like I was about to hit burnout. And I sound really weak and fragile for saying that, but I think it was the truth. I really wasn't coping. I was stressing. There were so many things going through. I wasn't thinking about things. I got to this point where I felt like I was kind of manic, you know, my actions. I wasn't wasn't thinking about things properly and thinking thinking things through. And so there was a time I'd finished work and um, I was jumping in my car to go to another meeting. Again, lots of things going on in my mind. Um, And I remember, you're probably going to know where this is going to go as soon as I say this, but I put my phone on the roof of my car, uh, (laughs) which is never a good place to put it, can I add. Uh, I jumped in the car and I went to pick up my friend um, and we're going off to the Baldwin's house for a meeting. Uh, which is across the bridge, and um, I'd only been here a couple of years, so I didn't know across the bridge very well then. Um, So as you can imagine, I got lost um, in Murray Bridge. I couldn't find where I was going, and so I was with my friend, and I was like, okay, we better try and, you know, get my phone out and get the address up and put it in Google Maps, and so we're looking for my phone. It's not there. I ended up on this road going 80 k's an hour off to Sunnyside, that road out there, and I was like, you know, this doesn't seem right, so I'm going to turn around, and I did. I turned around, and I started going 80 k's again, and then from the corner of my eye, I see something fly out the window. I see something like that, and I'm like, oh, gosh, and my heart sank, and I had this gut feeling. I reckon I just witnessed my phone fly off the roof of my car. And I um, pulled the car around again and there, sure enough, my phone smashed all over the ground. Uh, I tried to use it, definitely didn't work. Uh, It was completely ruined and it was a little bit of a wake-up call for me. I was like, okay, what is going on? Like, why is this happening? Why did I forget? Has anyone ever done that? There are people. I have friends. Did your phones break completely? Yes. Learn from us, guys. Don't leave your phone on your roof. But it was a wake-up call for me. I was like, all right, something isn't right. I've kind of got a little bit too much on my plate right now. And it's something that I kind of have a habit of doing. I like to think that I can do a lot of things. Um, And so I kind of say yes to a lot of things and I can get myself in this little bit of a trap where I've kind of bitten off more than I can chew. And there was a time recently where I had um, not quite the same but similar feelings of just my mind racing and I was stressing at nighttime. There was things that I was thinking about, oh, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And and it was um, there that God actually spoke to me and I felt him say, hey, why don't you read Luke 10. And I thought, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to read it. And um, I kind of read the whole chapter and I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is good. But it wasn't until the very end that I was like, oh, okay, this is what God is trying to shake into my brain right now. So we're going to read it. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Classic story. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. 
But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. I want to tell you this morning that there is only one thing worth being concerned about. There is only one thing that is needed. There is only one thing that is necessary. There are many good things, but there is only one great thing that gives us that edge, that advantage, and it is to simply sit at the feet of Jesus. That is all that is required of us. It's not to please everyone around us. It's not to be the best dad or to be the best husband or to have food on the table at the right time every night. It's, it's not to be respected by everyone or to do everything that needs to be done, to fuss about the details or to even make your family proud. The one thing that is required of us is so simple. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what he has to say. So this morning, will you sit with me? At the feet of Jesus. Romans 12, that um, key verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Doesn't say to offer your good works, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To offer your body. What does that mean? It means that God just wants you. He just wants you. He doesn't just want your your good works or your hard effort. He just wants you. Sometimes we can be so busy doing all kinds of works for God whilst never actually giving Him ourselves. He says, Martha, don't be worried about all those details. Just, Just come and sit with me. Just one thing is required. And so right now as we're sitting here today, I thought, Let's just pray to God. Let's just reach out our hands and just say, all right, God, I just want to sit at your feet this morning. Maybe there are things that are racing on your mind. Maybe there's concerns on your heart. Maybe there's details that you're worried about. They could look like all sorts of things. But this morning, let's just give that over to God, hey. I'm so glad that we've, we've taken out an a hour and a half of our day just to be in the presence of God. Let's use that. Let's really put off the distractions and put off those things and just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he wants to say to us. So will you pray with me this morning? Let's just close our eyes and reach our hands out in front of us. Father, we thank you that you love us just as we are, that you aren't disappointed at us, that you are proud of us, Lord, and that you just long to be with us and us to be with you. And so this morning, Lord, our heart's desire is just to sit with you. And maybe, God, we have never done that before and it's going to be something brand new. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll speak something into our hearts and minds that we need to hear that will bring us clarity of of thought and and a focus on what really matters, Father. So we just give this time over to you. We give ourselves over to you and we say, Lord, speak to us. We sit at your feet in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning... I want to look at a classic story in the Bible. It's from Genesis 22, and it's the story of Abraham and his promised son, Isaac. So we're going to read, sometime later, this is Genesis 22, 1 to 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, 
whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. How messed up does that sound, right? God's like, hey, Abraham, you know your son, right? You know your only son, even though you've tried to have lots of them, you know, you've only got one. Yeah, you know the son that you really love? Yeah, that one? I want you to sacrifice him. And so without delay, it actually says, verse 3, the next morning, Abraham did it. He got up, well, not quite. He got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham said. The fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Right? Isaac's clever. He's cluing onto something here. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And I love that it says that, okay? Isaac didn't flake. The two of them still proceeded. They still went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, which... We can't breeze over because that would not have been a small ordeal. Okay, Abraham is over a hundred years old at this stage. And Isaac, I always thought that Isaac was this helpless little boy. No, Isaac was in his 30s. Okay, who's a man in their 30s? Anyone? You guys. All right, imagine if you were a man in your 30s then, okay. And your dad was 100 years old, right? Do you think you could beat him in a fight? Probably, okay? You probably could. He, he could have, like, fought him. He could have fought the ropes off of him. He, I mean, he could have run. He would have been able to run faster than his 100-year-old dad. He could have done any of these things, but he doesn't. He actually stays there. Like, Abraham... This 100-year-old man, he built the altar. It wasn't a pre-made altar with wood on it where he just leads his son and then quickly throws the ropes around him and chucks him up. Like, he's like this old man, like, like gathering these things and slowly building up an altar and then getting the, the wood. And like, Isaac could have been back home by then, you know? That whole three-day journey, he could have been back home. But he wasn't. He actually stayed. And instead, when his dad finished the death preparations, Abraham, sorry, Isaac, without kicking and screaming, he allowed himself to be bound and he laid down on the wood, ready to be sacrificed. That's a little bit of a, a different story. We often talk about the faith of Abraham, which is amazing, but what about the faith of the man who was about to be killed? 
Have you ever thought maybe it required some faith in Isaac to trust his dad when he said the Lord will provide a sacrifice? And I reckon Isaac being 30 years old, he would also have his own relationship with God. This wouldn't just be about him trusting his his dad. This would be about him trusting his heavenly father that he would provide. And with Isaac being 30, you got to assume that he also knew about this this great promise that was meant to come from him. He would have known that he was the promised child. He would have heard countless times at the dinner table, his dad recounting the story of God took me out of my tent and he showed me the stars and he said, look how numerous your descendants will be. Like Abraham, Isaac would have known that. He would have known that through him that that promise was going to be fulfilled, that he was going to be this father of a great nation. Don't you think that he would have been justified in standing up, getting off that altar and saying, this is not right. This is not the will of God for my life. I am going to be a great father. Like I'm going to have all these kids. I'm gonna, there's a whole nation that's going to come from me. I am the promised child and this is not right. But Isaac didn't. With no lamb in sight, He laid down on that altar. You know, I've realized that I kind of struggle to learn what I should have learned as a child and what Isaac displayed in this story, that if it doesn't go my way, it's going to be okay. And I want to share something with you that I'm definitely not proud of. I'm just going to be very open and honest here. But there was this time... Um, a couple of months ago when Brock and I, actually it would have been more than a couple of months ago, Whew, that's good, makes it seem better, further in the past, maybe um, seven months ago, um, changed person since then, seven months ago, uh, Brock and I had uh, a session with Pastor Ray and Robin, we were doing our marriage counselling and um, they were talking about something quite basic, um, which was how many hours a week is good to spend together. Okay, um, but then when we got in the car, this turned into a bit of an argument, kind of fired by me, because I felt like we didn't spend enough time together, uh, but Brock thought that we did, and so he kind of was not backing down, and I was getting more and more fired up as we were driving from Rain Robbins, um, and he was dropping me back at my house, and um, I was getting mad. I was like, Brock you are wrong, you need to listen to me, I'm right, we need to spend more time together, so there. And as I was getting madder and madder, we'd pulled up at the house at this stage and I remember like being so dramatic but so mad and dramatic and I like swung the door open, I slammed my fist into my hand and I started storming down the road, right? It was so bad, I couldn't even get like maybe three or four steps until I felt convicted and I felt ashamed. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? That is such a small thing. Yet I have had such a big reaction. And the reason was because it didn't go my way. And I thought it's not okay. It needs to go my way. And um, I realized that the, the child from my childhood really came along with me. You see, I um, was a very peaceful child when I was here at church, but at home, I kind of let it rip a little bit, didn't I? My mum and dad are here today. I I was a little bit of a terror sometimes. I would yell at my parents and, you know, annoy my sister. And um, 
And then I moved in with Josh and Belle when I was, you know, after school. And, um, and I realised I couldn't get away with my old habits because I probably wouldn't have had a place to stay if I got angry and mad and you know so I kind of simmered down but then when Brock came on the scene and we got engaged um, you know I was stuck with him and he was stuck with me and my subconscious knew it and so I really let the cat out of the bag Uh, but to the grace of God, uh, he still married me. I discovered that he was right. He'd done the math correctly. It was fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, very sad. He had done the math correctly. Um, good job, Brock. Um, and um, we, we still got married in the end, which is <laughs> grace of God, can I tell you. You know, I wish that that child from my childhood stayed there, but she came with me. And I honestly struggle when things don't go my way. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. But I heard that little saying on Instagram from this cool Christian mum who was filming her toddler in the back of her car, throwing the biggest tantrum I have ever seen filmed and put on social media. She was like wild in the backseat. And this mum was smiling at the camera singing, if it don't go your way, it's going to be okay. If it don't go your way, it's going to be okay. You know, there's a Bible verse in Zephaniah that says, God will rejoice over you in singing. And I feel like that's the song that God sings over me a lot. Okay, if it doesn't go your way, it's going to be okay, Tash. It will be. So that's me being open and honest. That's how I respond in situations when things don't go my way. And that wasn't even a big thing. Oh my gosh, I need the help of the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, okay, your turn. How do you respond when things don't go your way? How do you respond when life doesn't seem to make sense? You might not kick and scream and throw a hissy fit like I did, probably just me. But what do you do when things are running smoothly and then all of a sudden something out of the blue catches you off guard? Something out of your control happens like you get a health diagnosis that just absolutely changes everything. Maybe a family member passes away. Or your job is made redundant. You're forced to change your living arrangements when you fail at something that you really needed to succeed in. When someone you were leaning on walks away, when the rug is pulled out from underneath your feet, how do we respond? Do we run away from the path that God has placed us on? Do we grow bitter and resentful to people around us? Do we get angry and lash out? Do we sink into a hopelessness and a dark cloud of depression? But like Isaac, what should we do? We should continue to rest on the altar before God. Our edge in any situation is to stay seated at the feet of Jesus in a position that says, Lord, I don't know what's going on but I trust you. God, this doesn't make sense, but I need you. You know better. My life is not my own. I have been bought at a price. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in due time, He will lift you up. Cast all your anxiety upon Him, for He cares for you. 
A life with the edge looks like a life on the altar where we lay ourselves, our families, our days, our ambitions, our failures, our pride, our anxieties, everything at the feet of Jesus. A life on the altar is actually a life of submission and it's a life of humility. Isaac, he had this goal, right? He had a promise that he was going to be a great father of a great nation. He was going to have many babies, right? That sounds all great for him. But then here he was laying on an altar. When life didn't go as expected, he didn't then take matters into his own hands. He submitted himself to the hands of his father. And man, does this go against everything within human nature, Does this go against the pattern of the world, the pattern that says to take things into your own hands, the pattern that says to push yourself and to do what feels right in the moment and to trust your gut and to do it your way? That is not the way of a Jesus follower, to lay your life on the altar before God in submission and humility as a living sacrifice is the way of those who follow Jesus. Even in the times when it doesn't make sense, even when things feel like they're spiraling out of control, when everything within you says to jump off that altar and to take matter into your own hands, we're to stay laying on that altar. I think it's easier to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes, you know, the guy who sacrificed something. That still is hard, and we talk about that a fair bit in church, I reckon, but to actually be the one who has sacrificed to actually lay your whole self down before God, that is a whole other thing. That is called being a living sacrifice. We're going to read our key verse again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, you're going to have heard this so many times by the end of this, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper also means logical. It's your logical form of worship. It makes sense, the Bible says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. This word transformed is the same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in front of Peter, James and John. It actually speaks of the glory of God, the radiance of God, literally changing the appearance of a person. And that's what Paul is getting at, that us regular old believers can have, that we can encounter that. It says to be transformed, to be transfigured by the renewing of our mind. And we can miss it because we can be so concerned about how we feel or or what we're doing that we forget about our minds and what God wants to speak into our minds. Just like Mary and Martha, Martha was so concerned about doing things for Jesus that she missed what Jesus wanted to say to her. She missed the chance of having her mind renewed. And this is important because Romans 12 says that once you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
And that is the big question, right? What is God's will for my life? Or what does God want me to do? But Romans 12 tackles this head on, but in a little bit of a different way than what we might think. It suggests that maybe instead of asking what is God's will for my life, maybe we should be asking what parts of my life aren't on the altar before God? What have I held off limits to God? Like our whole selves, he wants on the altar. What have we left off limits to God? Is it our relationships, our friendships, our time, our money, our forgiveness, our heart, fortune, popularity, your business, your mindset? If God asked you to change something, would you? Is your life on the altar or is it still in your own hands? We're going to read that verse one more time in a different translation. Well, breaking things up, changing things up in the young little translation, which um, is a bit of a funny translation because it's just literally translates the Hebrew to the English without kind of trying to make it make sense to English readers. So we're going to have a go at reading it. Um, I call upon you, therefore, brethren through the compassions of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, sanctified, acceptable to God, your intelligent service. And be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for your proving. This is the bit I want us to get. For your proving what is the will of God the good and acceptable and perfect. This better illustrates what most Bible commentators point out, that when we lay our whole selves down, every area as a living sacrifice, our life then proves what the will of God is. People look at our lives and say, oh my gosh, so that's what the will of God is. That's what it looks like to walk with Jesus, meaning that we don't just know what the will of God is, we actually live the the will of God. We prove it when we aren't conforming to the patterns of the world, but instead our minds are being renewed by the Word of God. That is the recipe to not just knowing the will of God, but being in the will of God, the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. So that means when choosing which job to accept, what friends to have, what uni course we need to do, where we need to call home, who we're meant to marry, we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear not having enough to survive or not being alone or being in love. We don't need to fear our life going nowhere or having nothing to live for. We can walk with confidence knowing that we are walking with Jesus. Our lives laid out before him. Does that mean that things are going to be easy and perfect? I wish. (laughs) But it's not. But God's will is perfect. Romans 8.28, a lot of you would know it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We don't need to fear because our God, always provides. Turn to somebody and say, our God always provides. 
He does. It's true. And I'm going to ask the band up in just a moment if you guys want to get ready and maybe keys can come up when you're you're ready. Because we're going to go back to Abraham and Isaac. Right now, we've left Isaac in a little bit of a precarious position. Okay, he's bound up, he's laid on the altar, his dad's got a knife in his hand that he's about to sink through his chest. So we better pick the story up in verse 10. It says, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But, woohoo, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. The Lord will provide. And to this day, to this very day, right here, right now, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham learned something that day and he marked that mountain accordingly. What did he call the mountain? The Lord isn't a child sacrificer? Did he call it something simple like the Lord is good so that we know that he's not this evil God who promised to sacrifice our children? No, he called it the Lord will provide. That day for Abraham and Isaac was all about the provision of the Lord, that the Lord, our God, provided for Abraham and Isaac, but He provides for you and for me. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And some may know that that mountain, Mount Moriah, that they were standing on was the exact same mountain that Jesus Christ stood on as He was crucified. Golgotha is Mount Moriah. He was standing in that same place. Not a ram, but a lamb, a perfect lamb who had lived a sinless, spotless life, who stood up and gave Himself a sacrifice for our sins instead of us. He gave Himself. God provides. We don't need to fear missing out when we lay our lives on the altar because we have all that we need in Christ alone. On the mountain of the Lord, God provided us with endless love. He provided us with a promise that He will never leave us or forsake us. He provided us with eternal life, a place with Him in the heavens. He provided us a new life that we're new creations. He gave us forgiveness. He provided us with Mercy, Jesus Christ did all of that for us on the cross. On that mountain of the Lord, God provided. But the craziest thing in all of this is that Isaac and us, we literally do deserve our place on the altar. We deserve it. Like we know, every person knows that there's sin inside of us, that there's things that just aren't quite right and it should actually be our blood that falls down that altar but as God provided a ram in the place of Isaac God provided a lamb in the place of us 
But this lamb wasn't without human nature. He wasn't just caught in the thickets. He had a mind. He had a heart. He had feelings. He had senses. He was the Son of God, God in human flesh, the perfect Son. He wasn't just the ram. He was the ultimate Isaac. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice. Just as Jesus carried the wood, he carried the cross on which he would die. And as he hung on the cross, people shouted at him to to, to save himself, to call upon the armies of heaven, to rip him off that cross. They beckoned God to save him. But there was no ram in the bushes that day. God the Father, instead of calling the crucifixion to the halt, He allowed His only Son to breathe His last as He cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The greatest act that God could have asked Abraham to do was to sacrifice the life of His Son. That is the greatest love. And that was the love that God gave you on the mountain of the Lord it was provided. And it's with that in view, that mercy, that crazy love of God that we lay our lives on the altar, knowing that our submission does not lead to our death, but it leads to our life, our life abundant and our life eternal. The best life we can live is that life on the altar, knowing that God has taken our place for us, knowing His mercy said, stop, Abraham, stop. You don't need to die. I'll take that. I'll take your sin. I'll take your failures. I'll take your weaknesses upon me. I will bear them on my body so that you may have my place. Let me take yours. And all we need to do is to say yes to that. And if you've never done that before, I want to give an opportunity right now for you to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a covering for your sin so that you may walk with Jesus, that you may walk with Him not just now, but but when you die and we're up in heaven together. And so if there's anyone in this place, I'm going to ask everyone else to close your eyes. And if there's anyone here who has never made that decision before, to give your life to Jesus, to accept His sacrifice in the place of your own, I'm going to ask you really, simply to pop your hand up and then I want to be able to give you a Bible and ask you to to come to the connect point at the back so we can talk you through this decision because it is the best decision not of your life here but of your life forever you're a soul not just a body so this morning if you want to make that decision I'm just going to ask you now to pop your hand up in the air and I'm going to see it and you can pop it back down not going to embarrass you or call you up onto the stage. It's just to signify between you and Jesus that you're saying, yes, Jesus, I need your sacrifice. I need your sacrifice. So if there's anyone else who wants to put their hand up right now, I'm going to give you some time to do that. Or online, if you're watching online and God is pulling at your heartstrings, and we're going to pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you took our place on that cross, on that altar. And Lord, we know that we are not perfect and that we've made mistakes. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we accept your forgiveness. We ask you to come into our lives 
and make us a brand new creation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to worship in just a moment, but I want to do one last call out for for all of us, I guess. Maybe there's areas in your life that you know that you aren't laying on the altar. And maybe that is because of fear. Maybe you're feeling like things are a little bit out of control and you have had something in your life that's come up that you just don't know how to deal with or a question that's been on your mind that you don't know the answer to and you just want to say to God, all right, I'm just giving it all over to you. Or maybe you... um, you're fearing, it could be something like a, a, a relationship and, and you're fearing, oh, if I don't, you know, actively do this, what's going to happen? And, and I just think that God's saying like, come on, let's just lay it out before God. He knows what's best. He's going to work all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So let's just lay things out on the altar before God. Let's lay our whole selves out on the altar before God. If you want to pray that with me, let's pray together. Father, You see us and You know us. You know everything in our minds, everything in our hearts, everything in our lives, past, present and future. And God, if there's anything right now that we're holding back from You, God, we we want to lay that out before You, Jesus. We want our whole selves on that altar before You. Father, we thank You that You just want us, that You love us and You just want us to sit at Your feet. You just want us to be with You. And so this morning, we want to say that together. Lord, we do. We just want to be with You. We want to just lay ourselves before You and trust You with our everything, Father God. We trust You with our families. We trust You with our health. We trust You with our finances. We trust You with our future, Lord. We give it over to You. Will you have your way, almighty God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to worship together. Thank you, team. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.